0: Sometimes Bible verses are more easily said than done. In fact, I think that's how it often works. Right? It's a lot easier for us to quote the scriptures than to put them into practice. To read them is easier than to obey them. Like 2 Corinthians 5, 17, for example, Paul writes this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He continues in verse 18. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Those are beautiful words. Those are powerful verses. This idea that there is new creation and that the old has gone. The old has passed away and and there's new that has come and that Christ has reconciled the world to himself and then he has gone on to give us and entrust To you and to me, the ministry of reconciliation, that we've been entrusted with that kind of life and that kind of ministry, not counting trespasses against others, but rather reconciling with others. That is so good and that is so beautiful until you've been trespassed against, right? (laughs) Until someone cuts you deep, like, oh, beautiful scripture, beautiful reality, until you live five minutes in the real world and someone's old comes out. Like, I don't want to deal with that. Right? We want to believe that the old has passed away, um, but it's really hard to give airtime to the new when you're wounded or hurt or lied to. Talk bad about, disrespected. Ain't too many people like to be given the ministry of reconciliation at that point when you're on the painful side of it. You don't have to raise your hand, but anyone have any relationships that are not fully restored? Anyone have any awkward elephants still in their family room? Any specific violations That haven't been addressed with certain people in your life that creates distance? Any lingering conflict? Yeah, me neither. So today, we are starting a short one month series in the New Testament book of Philemon. And yes, that is in your Bible. And the title of the series is called Rearranged by Love. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I invite you to open up to the book of Philemon. It's this little one-chapter book tucked in between Titus and the book of Hebrews. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. I'll give you a second to find it. It's probably stuck together on the page. (laughs) In my 23 years of preaching, I've never preached this letter before. And in my 40 plus years of attending church, I've never heard a sermon on this book before. Why is that? Maybe we'll find out as we get into it. But for whatever reason, um, and we'll talk more as we dive in over the next few weeks, but I kept sensing the Holy Spirit tugging to head this direction and to spend some time here as we kick off the new year, so at the very least, I'm going to believe that God wants to do some sense of rearranging by love among us and in us. So let's read the opening lines of this short letter, and uh, today's more of an introductory kind of a a sermon, uh, but give us a sense for what's happening in this book as we step into the weeks to come. So here's Philemon. There's only one chapter, but I'll call it Philemon one, the first verses here. It says, Paul... And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I'm going to stop us there. But this is the shortest book in the New Testament of all Paul's letters. In fact, it's so short, there are some that call it more of a postcard than a letter. There are 25 verses in this, 355 words. But underneath it, there is a lot going on here. Uh, So I want to introduce you to some of the characters as they appear in this letter, again, as we get a sense for what is happening in the weeks to come. So first person I want to introduce you to uh, is Paul. Uh, This letter opens... Uh, saying Paul, the prisoner for Christ Jesus. So uh, the first person you want to meet to understand this letter is the Apostle Paul. He's the author. Uh, this is Saul of Tarsus, if you try to connect the dots from the book of Acts. He's a, he's a prominent first century Hebrew figure. He's the one named Saul who met the risen Jesus on the road Damascus and God changes his name from Saul to Paul. God literally flips his life upside down and transforms him from being a persecutor of Christians in the early church to becoming a prodigious church planter. He's the person responsible for two-thirds of the New Testament. So it's that Paul who's writing this from Saul to Paul. But here, as he introduces himself in this letter, it's interesting. Sometimes it's, it's, it's helpful to pay attention to compare this letter to some of his other letters. As he introduces himself here in the first verse, he does it differently. Usually, like in Galatians or in Ephesians, Paul introduces himself as what? Anyone know? Paul, uh, an apostle. An apostle. That's usually how he leads in. That's usually his opening line. He establishes his credibility as he's writing to these churches. This is what he says as he opens this one. He doesn't call himself Paul the Apostle or Paul an Apostle of Christ Jesus. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. It's interesting. So this is one of Paul's prison letters. There are a few other ones in the New Testament. Uh, And there is, not to get too nerdy on you there's a debate as to where he was when he was in prison some say this was written when he was in roman prison in rome others say no he probably was in ephesus because ephesus was a little bit closer and i'll show you a map in a second closer to where uh, this letter was written to uh, without getting into all the prison specifics Uh, i think it's just noteworthy that paul identifies himself as a prisoner we'll talk about that more in the weeks to come So Paul, he says, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Timothy is also named, and he puts these words to paper. Paul's the author of the letter. So here's the second person I want to introduce you to. Paul writes the letter, and this is addressed to Philemon. Second half of verse one, it says, To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So, Paul, the apostle, Paul the prisoner, is well known to many Bible readers. Philemon may not be so much. Here's what we know about Philemon Philemon is a believer. Philemon is a follower of Jesus. He's a disciple living in the city of Colossae. Most scholars, actually it's pretty unanimous, that would say that Aphia, who's mentioned here, is most likely Philemon's wife. So you have a husband and a wife. Paul tells us that this church meets in their house. So Philemon is a leader As we learn more about him, he's a person of high character. And based upon this information also, we find out that he appears to be quite wealthy. He's a a large household owner. Now, many in the Colossian church had not ever met the Apostle Paul. Uh, We know that Philemon did spend some time with the Apostle Paul. Paul did not plant the church of Colossae, but Philemon has spent time with him. With Paul, So as this letter opens, we get the sense that this Philemon, he is, he's highly regarded. He's well-respected. He's a man of love and faith. Uh, Paul talks about him as being a partner in ministry. And so this letter is written from Paul to Philemon to Ophia and Archippus and the church that meets in their house. Again, sometimes I think it's helpful for us to just kind of readjust our vision of life in the early church. So we're not talking here about masses of people, not thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. We're talking about a small group. We're not talking about large, massive, mega church buildings. We're not even talking about cathedrals yet in this era. It's a house church. Probably less people than sitting in this room. In a home. Dozens of people that probably know each other quite well. A very small community of Jesus followers in the town of Colossae. For those of you that want to maybe orient yourself, we can put the map up on the screen here. Um, so here's Jerusalem, here's Colossae. Um, and then, even to next map to give you some more perspective to zoom out. Again, Jerusalem's here, Colossae here, Ephesus here. This is why some believe that Paul was imprisoned in Ephesus, because Rome uh, is a long ways away from here. And we'll get into that in, in a moment. But uh, again, Colossae's here around the Mediterranean Sea in the Lycus Valley. Small group of people, a house church. Some faithful followers of Jesus. This church has been planted. This church is beginning to grow. And Paul writes the postcard to Philemon. So we're a few verses in now, and you still have no idea why this letter is being written. Paul still hasn't shown his cards yet. A lot of these first few verses are kind of introductory material. Before Paul gets to the real reason why he is writing, he really spends some intentional time blessing Philemon and honoring Philemon. Again, verse 3, he speaks grace and peace from God. Verse 4, he speaks a prayer of thanksgiving for Philemon. He celebrates his love and faith toward Jesus. He emphasizes the fact that he's the kind of person who has love and faith for all the saints. Then verse 6, he highlights Philemon's partnership. Uh, The ESV translates it the sharing of your faith. It's the Greek word koinonia. It's the word that means partnership or fellowship. And Paul prays. He prays that Philemon's Partnership would be effective. And he prays for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of of Christ. Verse 7, Paul states that there is joy and comfort from his love. He calls Philemon a brother. He acknowledges that he's been a person who refreshes others, and that he and other saints have been refreshed by him. Like, so far, this is a nice little postcard. This is a nice little letter that the apostle Paul from prison is sending to Philemon. It's positive. It's upbeat. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. Man, what what a gift. That Paul the Apostle would take the time to write a little letter to this community. The now prisoner of God writes to a house church that he didn't plant, and he hears good things about one of its leaders. He sends his greetings. And remember again, uh, as these letters would be written and then sent, they would then gather in their house church. They'd gather their community group around, and they would read the letter that Paul has taken the time to write to them. But as you can guess, by the way I'm setting this up, that's not the main reason why Paul writes this letter. He's not just writing a thinking-of-you postcard. This is not just a friendly Christian greeting. There's a much deeper and more complicated reason for writing this. You ready for it? Here's here's what's happening here. This is the crux of the book. The third person I want to introduce you to, it's Onesimus. Onesimus. Here's the next verse. Verse 8. Paul writes, Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. This is the reason why Paul writes the letter, Onesimus. And Paul says, I'm not going to command you, I'm not going to order you around, I'm not going to pull rank as an apostle, though it's interesting how he continues in the letter. It's kind of a parenting move. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I know you're going to do the right thing. But here's why he's writing. It's about Onesimus. And here's his story. Again, we'll get more into this in the weeks to come as we dive into the second half of the letter. As we read in verses 15 and 16, Onesimus is actually a bond servant. Onesimus is a slave in the ancient world, most likely for economic reasons. That's what most of the slavery was in that day and age. It wasn't, again, we often hear it through our American lenses. It was not necessarily a racial thing. But prior to the writing of this letter, Onesimus belonged to and served in and worked for the household of Philemon. Onesimus is a slave for Philemon. And while we don't have all the details in this, we do know that at one point in time, Onesimus leaves. He escapes. That's why some call him a, quote, runaway slave. Others preferring to focus on his rightful desire for freedom, say that he escaped captivity. He is an escaped slave. As you read verse 18, there seems to be something else going on that possibly Onesimus may have stolen some money or some property from Philemon. But again, that's kind of reading between the lines. Regardless, here is how this unfolded. Onesimus was in the household of Philemon, a slave. He leaves, maybe taking some things with him. He makes his way out of town. He leaves Colossae, and somehow, some way. Onesimus makes his way to Paul in prison again that's why some people believe Paul's writing from Ephesus because it would have been a whole lot easier for an escaped slave to make it from Colossae to Ephesus than all the way over to Rome but again I won't argue about that too much But piecing it together, Onesimus leaves his household, he leaves his slavery, he leaves Philemon, and he makes his way somehow, and he runs into the apostle Paul, and while he's with Paul, he hears the gospel, and he comes to faith in Jesus. That's why in verse 10, Paul says that Onesimus is his son. And he's become his father. It's not because Paul had a fling and gave, you know, had someone give birth to Onesimus. No, it's his son in the faith that he shared the good news of Christ. And Onesimus has become a Christian. What a small world after all. So now, here comes this letter, here comes the postcard from Paul. Paul writes to his dear friend, again, he spends the first few verses speaking highly of him, his character, his love, his faith, how refreshing he's been to the saints, his partnership, and he wants the fullness of that partnership to come to fruition Philemon, his dear friend, household owner, house church leader, he prays, blesses him, speaks well of his love, and along with the postcard comes Onesimus. Look at verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So here's this crazy situation that takes place. Not only is Onesimus being sent back with Paul's letter to the place that he escaped from, but here's Paul's request, verse 16. I'm sending him back that he would be received no longer as a slave, but I want you to receive him now as a brother. You want to talk about a little drama at church on a Sunday morning? Now we have some drama. <laughs> Conflict, trespasses, shame, wounds, power dynamics at play, questions of slavery and freedom. Like we have literal, not metaphorical elephants who have just walked into the room of the house church. What in the world is going on? What is Paul doing? What is he asking? What is he seeking? In all candor, this is a crazy ask and a loaded situation. Can you imagine being at the gathering that day? Oh, we got a letter from Paul. Let's read it. And Onesimus just walked in the room. What is going on? Ironically, the book of Philemon is the only letter written by the Apostle Paul where he doesn't talk about the cross. 25 verses. He never once talks about the cross. You won't find it in here. He never talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which is really odd for Paul because Paul likes to talk a lot about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about the cross all the time. But instead of talking about theology, Paul here in this letter is doing applied theology. Paul is looking and hoping, not commanding, but setting it up for real-life reconciliation. Paul, the prisoner for Christ, sends the would-be prisoner back home. As a slave in the ancient world, an escaped slave in the ancient world, Onesimus could be arrested, beaten, or killed. And then he's being asked to return to the place he once was a slave. And he's asking Philemon to forgive him. And I imagine, if I were a fly on the wall, that everyone watching just like can't believe what they are witnessing. And it's one thing to preach about the old and the new, Cross, forgiveness, grace. As Paul writes elsewhere, that the the wall of hostility has been torn down and, and the gospel, central to the gospel message is forgiveness of sin and those who were estranged and enemies, God and humanity being brought together, those who had no business being in relationship now, in relationship again. It's one thing to talk about the estranged being reconciled and the cross and grace and even abstract theology, but this is a whole nother deal when Onesimus walks back into the room. This is the Colossian church. And elsewhere in the letter to the Colossians, this is Colossians 3:11, Paul writes. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And again, it's one thing to read that as abstract theology, and it's another thing to have the slave who ran away come back in the room. Paul says, I want to see reconciliation. I want you to receive him back, not as a slave. I want you to receive him back as a brother. Now, this is usually the point in the sermon where I try and bring it all together, clearly articulate the gospel, bring some sense of resolution and application. But this is a different kind of book, and I'm setting our, us up for the weeks to come today. And I think we need to end today without a bunch of tidy bows tied on this book. I'm trying to raise the tension maybe a little bit. So rather than ending with a nice, beautiful conclusion today, I want us to think about some of the questions. So I, I need I need three volunteers, and believe me, it's really easy. You don't have to say anything or do anything. You just need to stand here. Can I get three people to come up here? All right. Jeff in his quintessential Northwest attire. Luke. I need one more person. Anyone? Don't make me pick you out. Come on, one more person. Anybody? 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 All right. All right, Nate. Thanks. So I'm going to have... I just can't get over your outfit. That's awesome. I'm going to have you hold the P. This is Philemon. I'm going to have you be the church. I'm going to have you be Onesimus. And the reason why I wanted people up here, because, again, we read this on the page, and it feels like, again, it, it's, we can dismiss it and distance ourselves from it. What is it like when these human beings are in the same space? So I, I want to think, let me put this first question up here on the screen. What is Philemon thinking, feeling, and wondering as he hears the letter and he hears the news? What's going on in his mind and heart? Again, this is speculative, yes. But what do you think is going on in him as he hears this letter being read? And he sees Onesimus walk in his house that he possibly took something from and left. And this is where I need some audience participation. What do you think? Some guilt? guilt? Okay. Okay, maybe feeling manipulated or wondering if he's about to be manipulated? Conflicted? Wondering if he's in the twilight zone? Yeah. A little awkward? What else is going on, do you think? What's he wondering about? Okay, maybe some anger. Yeah. Resentment. Resentment. Being set up. I feel like you're being set up. Like, Paul, I trusted you. I looked up to you. And you send me a letter and that guy? Yeah. What else is Philemon thinking about, wondering about here? Economic loss, e- economic loss right? It's not, it's, it's not fun for anyone when you lose stuff. When you, Again, I'm not sure how much it was or what it was or if it was, but yeah, economic loss is real. What it teach the other household members? Okay. What what does this teach the other household members? And sure maybe he has other slaves? Okay. So maybe yeah, so maybe if this if he is a person of great love, Love for all the saints, and may, maybe there is a soft spot in his heart, and he welcomes his back like, a, like the prodigal. That would be a beautiful thing. Loss of status. Loss of status in, in what way? So maybe maybe he did send them. We'll find out more in the rest of the story. But I want you to feel there, there's a person receiving this letter. And again, we don't know. This this is speculation. But as is the case with most conflict and people being involved, it gets complicated. Now now I want you to we're going to hop over to this side here. This is Onesimus. W- Go ahead, I think we have it on the next screen. What's Onesimus thinking and feeling and wondering as he (laughs) comes with the letter and walks into the household? What's that? Maybe I'm into, this is like walking into the principal's office? This is like walking into your parents' room when you know you got caught? Maybe. Fear. Anxiety. Shame. This is not going to go well, or maybe it is going to go well. Maybe this is, right? This is the gospel. This is reconciliation. This is going to be a beautiful ending. or maybe not. Any other thoughts? What else is going on? Discomfort? Yeah. What are they thinking? Yeah. What's Onesim, or what's Philemon thinking? What's Aphia thinking? What are the rest of the church members thinking? Yeah, right. So he, he, he trusts Paul and God and the situation enough to come. Yeah, that's huge, actually. Um, this wasn't resolved before they come home. He comes back. And then lastly, let's think about those that are sitting in the room. The house church, that's gathered. And they're watching these two look at each other again for the first time in who knows how long. What's going on in their minds what are they thinking, wondering, questioning? Okay. Team team Philemon, Team Onesimus. Yeah, that never happens in churches. What else maybe is happening in the church as they're thinking about this? Yeah. 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 What's the implication of this? Like you said, so other slave owners are in there going, oh, really? This is what we got to do now? Other slaves going, is this how this happens now? Yeah. Everyone's watching going, what's going to happen? And this really may mean something for me. Yeah. What else? Any other thoughts? Should I go? <laughs> Should, I leave? Should I leave the room? Yeah. Should I stay in this? Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? Can I, can, I, can I sit in the tension long enough? Any other thoughts? Okay. Thank you, the three of you. I'll take your letters back. We may have you come up in future weeks or others. Thank you. What about you as you hear this? Any other questions that it raises for you? Did the church get to read the letter? I will say in most cases, that's what they did, is they read it out loud. But yeah, how did that happen? When did that happen? What are thoughts, questions maybe that come in your mind as you hear about this? I think the possible division as was mentioned earlier, in two camps. Uh, two camps. the camps play out just so you know historically this letter was used in different ways most often in the american church to keep slaves with their masters so there's some history even in that in terms racially in our country of how this letter was used in an american form of slavery there's questions about Bible and how it impacts our lives, our culture. How it deals with conflict in your life, my life, unresolved conflict. But as we continue to sit in even for this month, the good news is. Is that God in his wisdom and love takes reconciliation Seriously. And he makes it possible. And really what, what the Apostle Paul, when we'll read, again, I keep saying, we'll talk more in the weeks to come. But one of the things that he talks and does here is that really Paul puts himself in the middle between these two camps. And he loves and he honors and he blesses Philemon. And he commends Onesimus. And he says, and I want you to receive him back not as a slave, but as a brother. And he stands in the middle appealing for a a, a different way. He appeals to the way of love. He appeals to the way of the kingdom. He says there's a new way to be human that defies the categories of this world. And being honest, it's really, really hard for us to live in. But Paul offers it to us and to them that there's a new way to be human and there's a new way to do conflict and there's a new way to enact a ministry of reconciliation that literally is not of this world. And it is messy and it isn't easy and it does take time and it does take work. But underneath Philemon is the heartbeat of the gospel that it's possible through Christ. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would continue to rearrange us In love. As we read and study this letter, I encourage you to ask God, what do you want me to know? God, what do you want me to do? Again, easier read and quoted than lived and obeyed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this little postcard. Thank you for this little letter. And Lord, I don't know fully all that you want to do in it and through it. But I I do know you've brought us here. And Lord, I pray for our hearts. And even in these last few moments, maybe there have been names and faces that come to mind where there is brokenness, where there have been wrongs, And Lord, this doesn't lead to easy solutions or easy answers. And maybe it's a reminder of shame, of how things didn't go well and haven't gone well. Uh, I just pray your love and grace upon us, but an obedient ear to hear what you may invite us into. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his great act of reconciliation. Would you teach us to walk in his footsteps too? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.